Well, amen. And all God's people said? That's great. You can be seated. Thank you so much. As you're being seated, let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn with us to John chapter 15. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Allison. John chapter 15. And if you'll remember last Sunday, we kind of started this a month out of away from Easter. We're three weeks from Easter today, which then means we're two weeks away from uh, Palm Sunday. I wanted to take a month and just talk about you know the cross, about salvation. Uh, we've been talking about the family, and we'll we'll pick that back up uh, the Sunday after Easter. But I just wanted to take several weeks and maybe talk about the doctrine of salvation, the new birth, um, you know what it means to be born again, the power of the cross, and and so that's what we're doing. And I want to read. Several verses this morning out of the Gospel of John. So your Bible's open to John chapter 15. Before I read, I want to thank Robbie for covering for me on Wednesday night. And uh, I went to a conference in Tampa, not Tampa, in Orlando. Uh, the conference was Thursday, at, from 10 a.m. Thursday till, it's, it finished yesterday at lunch, but we, I couldn't stay on Saturday. You know, we had to get back, you know, drive. I, I'm getting too old. I couldn't get in at 10 o'clock last night and function today. Riding in the car is no longer enjoyable. Uh, many of you can identify with that. Um, but anyway, thank you for letting me go. It, it's a conference. Originally, now this is the third time this particular conference I've been to since I've been here, uh, this particular conference. And uh, John MacArthur has always been there, and so he's my hero. So that's one reason we had planned to go. And my preacher friend... Had, in, had really invited me, and he, was, he paid my way. And he paid for the hotels and uh, for the conference. So I had to say yes. And um, so, um, but MacArthur backed out. But we had a good time anyway. Uh, there were six or seven speakers and a lot of theology. Um, as we say sometimes when we leave those sessions, we say, that sure was good. I wish I understood it. You know, sometimes it's kind of a little over my head. But, uh, but you act like you understand every bit of it. Uh, anyway, God's good, isn't He? We do want to pray for uh, TJ and Marianne and Tim and really the sisters too. Um, that probably brings back a lot of memories of the past six or seven years, what they've been through. But uh, we'll be sensitive to that and we'll, we'll do the best we can to keep the church family informed and anything we might be doing in the days to come, we'll try to let the whole church know uh, of those opportunities to help them in any way that we can. Your Bible's open to John chapter 15, and I would say there's probably not any better passage that you would want to read if you wanted to talk about our union with Christ. Whether you're talking about our union, you know, like the union, what I mean by that is, is being in Christ. You know, there's two great pictures in salvation. Uh, Christ is in us, and then we're in Christ. So through the work of the Holy Spirit at salvation, the Holy Spirit comes in, in tabernacles inside of us, and, and the Holy Spirit is Jesus in spirit form. Uh, there's three natures of God, there's one God. And so Jesus tells us that the Spirit's going to come, and really He says, He's another me, so Christ is in me. And then I'm in Christ, and so in salvation, everything that Jesus did, I get credit for it. 
He died to sin, rose again. That, that now spiritually, judicially has happened to me in the eyes of God. I've died and I'm alive in Christ. And the only thing that keeps me from seeing Him is I'm encased in this old man, the old Adam. And so that's why the Bible says, we talked about this at the funeral uh, Monday, that's why the Bible says absent in the body. It just make, it's, how, it's, it's one of those cre- creation ordinances. It's how things are. It's, it's what they would call an indicative. Whether you believe it or not, whether atheists believe it or not, here's, here's an indicative. It's just the way it is. Absent in the body, for believers, absent in the body is what? Present with the Lord. That doesn't change. And so when you leave this, this tent that we're in, you, you are ushered into the presence of God. And that can happen because you're in Christ and Christ is in you. This is the passage. This is the seventh. There's seven I am statements in John's gospel. I am is, is Jesus using the phrase of what how God identified himself to Moses. And y'all know the scene, you know, at the burning bush, he calls Moses, and Moses is not a good speaker. He stammers, and you know, he and and he says, Well, who's going who am I going to say sent me? And and God reveals himself as the I am. So Jesus has picks up on that. And John, which wrote his gospel 20 years or so after the other gospels includes these I am statements. And uh, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, right? That's in John chapter 6. Then he fed 5,000 people with a loaf of bread, with a little boy's lunch, right? I'm the bread of life. Well, first he did the miracle, then he said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world, he says, and also in John 8. In John 10, he does two. He says, I am the door. So any access to the presence of Yahweh or God, the Father, he's the only door. And he uses that in the context of a sheepfold. Um, So he's the door. There's the third one. The fourth one is also in John 10. I am the good shepherd. There's the fourth one. The fifth one would be in John 11, which is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. It's the resurrection of Lazarus. So he says, he tells Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he proves that by bringing Lazarus out of the tomb, which proves that he has power over death. And then the, the sixth one is my... Life verse, my first memory verse as a believer, John 14, 6. Jesus said unto them, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So I am the way, the truth, the life. That's the sixth one. And just think about who Jesus is. You know, light, bread, resurrection. I mean, who else do you need? The door, the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And then the last one is here in John 15. I am the vine. I am, literally it says, I am the true vine. In making an inference that if you attach yourself to anything else, you're getting a bad bargain. Because he alone is the true vine. 
And by the way, it's interesting because whatever you're attaching yourself to, you know, you're going to bear fruits. It's going to affect you. And we want to be attached to Christ. So keep your Bibles open. I'm going to read the first few verses of John chapter 15, but we're going to hang out in chapter 13, 14, and 15 this morning because I want to kind of set the scene as we lead our way up to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. This is God's Word I'm reading out of John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. By the way, just fun facts to learn and enjoy. In the original language, the Bible language of the day, Greek, the root word that's translated that he takes away is the root word for resurrection. Interesting. To, to take out, to take up. So, so if a branch does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Yours may say cleanseth, if you have a New King James or King James... He cleanseth or he prunes. And why does he do that? That it may bear more fruit. Jesus says, already you are clean because of the word. And I love that. It, he could, he, it would have made just as much sense to me as a follower of Christ if he said because of the words, but he says because of the word, you know, using the singular just to to be the whole, the word of consummation, everything that I've spoken unto you kind of thing, because of the word, he says, because of the word that I have spoken to you. So you're already clean. You're already being pruned, right? Because of the word, okay? Uh, that I've spoken to you. So, by the way, being clean is, is the first step. Being pruned is the first step of bearing fruit, Okay? Um, being pruned, repentance and cleansing. I mean, that's, that's the picture. Uh, I, I'm not a horticulturalist, and you know, it was a day where I don't, we don't, we can't grow much at our house. We're neither dying or not, either one very good farmers or whatever you want to say. Um, even in the day where, remember the, those tomato plants that used to grow upside down, topsy turvy tomato plants. We messed those up. You remember those, Walter? We we couldn't and it just we just couldn't do it right. So I'm not like speaking from experience, but from what I've read, if you don't prune, you don't get as much fruit or growth as you should. And obviously, I've said this every time, the energy, and you know this logical, the energy is spent in making the wood rather than making the fruit. But if you shave that, the wood back, the, the limbs back, uh, the branches back, then there's more potential for, for fruit. And that's kind of the whole purpose here of what Jesus is saying. But he says, he says, you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So repentance, cleansing, shaving, you know, God moving, taking away your old nature. You know, more repentance. I have a book. Uh, I took it on the trip. It's called Mortification of Sin. Killing sin in your life. You know, repent, 
finding out how wicked you are through knowing the Scriptures, then repenting. This mortification, so being cleansed, that's the first step of growth. But then, then, there's a, then it's ongoing, right? Because we find this word abide. You can't, when we talk about repentance and o- obedience, it's not just a one-time deal. You got saved by repenting and believing. But you'll spend your life repenting and believing, right? I mean, this is what we do. And that's called abiding, right? You got your Bibles open, that's what it says. He says, so the second step, if you just want, is cleansing and then abiding. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear... By the way, I in you is an emphatic statement. You abiding in me is the issue. You being faithful to me, I'm always faithful, Jesus. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am, the, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he uh, it is that bears much fruit. And if you've been following, we have fruit, then we have more fruit, and here Jesus says we have, somebody can have much more fruit. Uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, now folks, theologically I might stand at odds with some people on this, He is not talking about losing your salvation. Neither is he talking about hell. He's talking about when a a vine dresser would go out into the vineyard and he would be pruning things, you know, he would be pruning and making sure that not only was there fruit, but there would be better fruit because he's pruning. When he prunes, guess what falls to the ground? The dead wood, right? And, And... he picks it up. So when he comes through to clean everything out, if, if you haven't produced fruit and, and it's dead wood that's fallen to the ground, because he prunes and it falls. So that's, I think that's the story he's, he's picking up on. So he says, if you abide in me, uh, well, I'm sorry, let me go back and read the verse. It says, uh, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered And this happens at your house and my house. Old dead branches, you know, weak branches, strong winds, they fall. I had a tree two or three weeks ago just fell by itself. I mean, it just was, I didn't realize it was so dead and it just fell in the backyard. And so it just goes to the ground. So what what did I have to do? I've been waiting for a month for you to come pick it up, Sam. I'm just kidding. That's not true. But what do you pick it up? You got to burn, and then we burned it. Okay, so I think that's the context. There's others that think he's talking about saved and lost. That the picture saved. I just think he's talking about a believer abiding, being cleansed and abiding, or a believer not being cleansed and abiding. And if you're not, you can't do anything. And if you're doing something that's not godly, and you're not producing godly fruit, you're doing works of the flesh. I mean, I think that's anyway. 
So he says, um, so if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown, and, and, are thrown, and, he, and he throws them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, and see, it's all about the glory of God. And the Father's glorified in the Son. And the Father would be glorified when you and I live like the Son. So this is what we're praying about. This isn't asking for material wealth, right? Uh, This is praying about being Christ-like. So whatever you ask in my name, that's what he says, uh, by this my Father is glorified that you, you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have I loved you. And then he finishes by saying, Abide in my love. Now, just hold your finger here. We're going to go to one passage away from John. I want you to go forward to Romans chapter 11. Just take just a second with me and go to Romans chapter 11. And this is now this passage is talking about the grafting of salvation as a nation. Go to, go to uh, Romans chapter 11 and picking up uh, at verse, uh, go to Romans chapter 11, let's pick up at verse 13. Romans eleven thirteen. Now I am speaking to you, you Gentiles, Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Just like, we read in the book of Acts, you find that many of the Jews would get offended when the gospel or ministry went to the Gentiles and God would save the Gentiles, then the, then, then the Jews would get upset. Now there were pers- many of them hated the Gentiles because of it and others would get jealous and that's what Paul's talking about when they realize Gentiles can be saved maybe some of the Jews will decide that Jesus really is the Messiah and who he said he was. Um, in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and, and thus save some of them for if their rejection now look at your Bibles very close this is really theological here For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? What I'm saying is, if they rejected Christ, and then now the gospel's gone, and people are being saved all over the world, what's what's it going to mean if the Jews repent? Well, what it's going to mean is the same kind of new life everybody's getting when they believe in Jesus. That's what he's talking about. They can be saved. So because he says, for if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their, what will their you know, acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy... So are the branches. I'm just giving you a a thought. If you've been truly saved, okay, I'm just kind of making an argument for my understanding of John 15. And by the way, we're going to stay here for a week or two, so don't 
we'll, we'll get to all this, but if, if you've been truly saved, you're abiding, you're a connected, you're a branch. That, that, so you've been connected to Christ by that, and, and, and that's kind of the reference here. But look what he says. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches if you are. Uh, if you are. Remember, it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. It's not like, what did you do? You know, he's saying, what did you do to abide in the vine? It, it was the vine that sought you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. And he's talking about, you know, the gospel went to the, Jew, to the Jews first, the Great Commission, to the Jew first. Many of them rejected it. And then where did it go? It went to the Gentiles. And by faith, just the few Jews that believed saved. Those of us that are wild olive, we're grafted in when we, when we believe by the power of the gospel. I just love that. So remember Romans 11, if you need a cross-reference about us being grafted in to the true vine. We're wild. Gentiles, which means we didn't have the Old Testament. We didn't have any history of salvation. God saves us by the power of the gospel. Isn't that awesome? That's fantastic. Now go back to, to John, John 15. I'm going to tell you, we're not going to get there. And this is preachers are not supposed to do this. I'm going to tell you the five or four or five things I'm going to talk about in John 15. But we're never going to get there. But I want to tell them to you, okay? Number one, John 15, what we just read and further, we, have, we go further down the road. Number one, the vine and the branches, I'm connected to Jesus. It defines what reality is all about. If I, my life, you know, where the Bible says, my life is hidden in Christ and God. You know, when Christ who is your life appears, Colossians 2. I mean, it, every, if I'm connected and He's the vine and I'm the branch, reality is defined by Him. Who I am is based on Him because I'm connected. So, it, so Christ as the true vine, defines reality. How, what life is all about. Number two, He delivers all of the resources I need. If I'm the branch, I can't provide any of those resources, right? Shake your head. I'm right. I don't know a lot, but I know if you separate me from the vine, I don't get the resources. So if I separate myself from His Word, from His Spirit, from His church family you know, from the things of God, from prayer, all the disciplines of the Christian life, I'll quit growing because all of my resources are delivered to me from Him. So, so, so number one, it defines my reality. Life is Him. Number two, uh, all my resources. It delivers all of my resources. Three, He determines, it determines how much I'm going to reap. 
I don't produce fruit on my own. I produce fruit based on being connected to Him. So that's not determined by me. That's ter- you remember, even in spiritual gifts, in the doctrine of spiritual gifts, the Bible says in Romans 12 and also in 1 Corinthians that God is sovereign and He distributes gifts by His own sovereign. And some people get more. But that's not what... You didn't earn it. You didn't develop your own spiritual... You can develop them. But you didn't, it didn't originate. God does it. It's a sovereign thing. So we're not going to do anything unless we are connected. So He de- determines the, the... I use determines reaping because I'm using DNRs. But my fruitfulness is determined by my connectivity to Him. Five, being the vine and the branches... He alone declares my responsibility. I don't decide who, what I'm supposed to be doing. He declares my responsibility. And the last thing is we find out that I end up being... If you, if you abide in the vine, then you end up being like Jesus and you will find that in you will dwell. The Bible says will dwell... This is shocking. That in you, a sinner saved by grace will dwell true righteousness and holiness. It's an incredible statement to say to think to yourself that true righteousness and holiness can dwell within a wicked sinner like me and a wicked sinner like you. That, that is amazing. So that's the outline. We'll pursue that in the days to come. That being said, go to chapter 13. We're just going to... Set the context here, but go to John 13. And I just want to take you up to where we are. This is the last night of Christ's life. Now remember in John's Gospel, um, half the book is about the last week. Um, That may be why I love John more. I not love him more than the other Gospels. That's not the way to say it. But you would say that for me, it is my favorite Gospel. Um... Another reason why the language is a little simpler to me. And, uh, but in John's Gospel, when you get to chapter 12 and into 13, you, 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 know, you are in the last week of Christ's life. So I want you to notice, uh, uh, remember what happens in chapter 13? This is 2, 3, this is before COVID, the, the, the fake-demic or the pandemic, whatever it was. Before that, uh, we, we used John 13 as our theme verse, and it's the washing of the disciples' feet, remember? It's a, you know, the last night of Christ's life. But here's the end of that. I want you to see the context, because this is important, because this is what we're going to be celebrating. The, the, you know, Good Friday, I mean, uh, Palm Sunday, to Good Friday, to Easter Sunday. This, this is that week in his life. Chapter 13, look at, verse, uh, look at verse 31. John 13, 31. Can I just say something that has nothing to do with sermons? If one of you guys that are really sharp and smart with a screw and hanging things, if you could take my new clock which I can see really well, if you would hang it on one of these, this top thing, it's got a hanging plate. And that way, I'll be able to see it easier. Just, just a word of advice. Okay, let's move on. 
Not that it means anything, but it is good to see. So 1330, this, now think about what we're talking about. It says, when he had gone out, who had gone out? Who's the one that Jesus needed to separate from the disciples, from the apostles? Judas, right? So, he sent him out. He knows what's going to go on. So it says, so when he had gone out, after Judas had left, now is the Son of Man glorified. He, Jesus knows where Judas is going, right? I mean, there's a great theological debate. You know, books are written about this. Is, is that Jesus had to give up his life because he could not, he didn't have sin. So he, could, he wasn't going to die from old age. He wasn't going to die from a sickness. And some scholars debate whether you could really, if he didn't surrender to the cross and he didn't surrender to the nails, they wouldn't have eventually brought death. But he, I mean, he's a God-man, but he surrendered himself. He gave himself over to death. But now it's time. He says, he says now is the Son of God glorified and God is glorified in him. Um, so he's talking about now, the last few hours of my life, this, it's, leading, it's leading to the cross. Uh, look at verse. Uh, look at verse uh, thirty-three. I love this. In John's gospel, just right there, the first two words in John thirteen thirty-three. This, this is precious. Little children. That doesn't appear again in John's gospel. Little children. G- and and if you have a red letter Bible, not that you have to have. Most of mine are not, but, but you know, it does tell you that Jesus is speaking. All of it's God's Word, okay? But Jesus there, mine's red letter, this one is. So, little children. He's calling the apostles. Now there's 11 of them. Little children. And you're thinking about the necessity of little children to be nurtured and cared for, taught. And, and that's what He's been doing. By the way, that word little children doesn't appear again in John's gospel. But you know where it does appear about a dozen times? When John wrote 1 John. When he's writing his epistle, he remembers what Jesus said. And he calls believers little children. John says little children, little children, little children. And the word techna, techna is let's talk about children that's 12 or younger. And little children. So all of us as believers, we're little children. Go to chapter 14. Here's my favorite verse, memory verse. It's verse 6. Jesus says, I am, just follow along with me. Just, I'm setting the scene. This is all happening in one night, okay? He's washed the disciples' feet and he's teaching. He, there's a good chance they're in the upper room, okay? John doesn't record the Last Supper. He records a lot of things that happened around the Last Supper, like washing the feet. But we're in the upper room and Jesus is teaching. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 7 says, If you, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. 
Isn't it interesting? If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now, look at what he says. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. Now, by the way, the Bible says nobody's ever seen the father. Never, no one's ever seen God as in God the father and lived. I want you to answer this out loud. Then how did the apostles see the Father? That's right. Who did they see Him? In Jesus. And that would be, so everything God the Father, if you're thinking theologically now, just, just putting it down, all this makes sense. What the Father and Son and the Spirit had determined is that everything you and I would need to know about the Father would be in the Son. And there's a lot more about God, the eternal God, that we don't know, right? There's a lot of His attributes, though we know the word for His attributes, like His omnipotence, like He's everywhere at all times. I don't understand all that. I believe it. Uh, but everything I need to know about God the Father is in Jesus. That's, that's who I need to know. So it's just a reminder that the, the Son is equal to the Father. That's what He's claiming. I'm still in John 14. Look at verses, uh, go down to verse 15. John uh, 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He, and he will give you, are you looking at your Bibles? Now, this is leading up to John 15 where he says, I'm the vine. This is just all part of his teaching. Judas has left. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. Okay. So he's teaching. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I mean, you have to ask yourself, do you love him? And we're just not talking about the Ten Commandments. Okay. Talking about the, the things that Jesus taught, had already taught, and which we now have in, in Scripture. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I, and then he says, and I will ask the Father, okay? And he will give you, by the way, give is a gift. So that means even though you may not, you know, the Spirit of God's always with you, even though you're, you're faithful or not. I will give you another are you looking at your bibles another helper okay now i don't want to confuse it but this is why i'm picking these verses i don't want to confuse you but now in his teaching to the apostles or disciples in the upper room judas is left if you've seen me you've seen the father i'm the only way is what jesus says and now he says to them i'm going to send you if you love me obey my word and then he says i'm going to send you another helper now, the word in, in the language of the day, there was two words for another. You might use the word heteron, okay? Uh, like hetero, heterosexual, right? Uh, an opposite. Heter, heteron was another. Another, okay? That's not the word here. The word he uses here is alion. You don't care about the word. But it means the same, 
of the same kind. So you can literally, and, and you can back this up with tons of scholarship. I'm not making it up. You, you're welcome to do your own research on Blue Letter Bible or Study Light or pick a concordance and look up the Greek word, whatever you're going to do. But it, here's how I can, I will give you another like me is, is exactly how the word means. So this is one of the arguments we make. The Spirit of God, this is one of the battles you have when, you're, when you might want to talk to people who, who say the Holy Spirit is leading them to do things that Jesus didn't teach. Like, I'm speaking a little bit now about the charismatics that, you know, laugh in revivals or, you know, whatever it would be. I blow on you and I, you pass out because I'm full of God's power, that kind of stuff. And, but the Spirit is another Christ. So His ministry was like Christ and it was to glorify Christ. So another, just to remind you, another, another, now you have help. To, they're going to have help for the Christian life. And it's going to be better that Jesus goes away. Um, oh, I'm out of time. Go, go to verse... Uh, Verses eight. Look at verse eighteen. Just kind of setting what where we're going to be and talking about. I will not leave you as orphans. When he's going away, he's that was the first part of John fourteen. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, but He's awful in me. My Father's house are many dwelling places. So he's going away. So he wants them to obey his commands. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm going to send you another helper. And then he says, I will not leave you as orphans. Look what he says. I will come to you. And he says, yet a little while. And the world will not see me, will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live in that day you will know that I am, in, I am in my Father and you in me and I in you on that day, which I think was Pentecost. He's just saying there's coming a day where the Spirit of God is going to put me in you and on that day you're going to know that I'm sitting at the right hand of the Father, which was the day of Pentecost. And Peter mentions this in his Pentecostal when he preaches at Pentecost. He realizes the fulfillment of Scripture. Now, this is all Jesus' teaching leading up to the death, burial, and resurrection. We're out of time, so let's drop down to verse... Uh, um, look at verse... I'm sorry, I, I got small print. I don't know why I did this, but I brought a small print Bible, and I'm having a hard time finding the verses. Look at verse 22. We'll finish with this one, okay? Judas... What? Another Judas? Or the Judas? Another Judas. Look what it says. Judas, and in your Bible, like mine, it says not is a chariot. Right? There's two Judases. But surname of the first one was is a chariot. He's the one that, you know, that denied Jesus. Um, betrayed him. Judas, Nasa, is a chariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? That's, that's an interesting question. And Jesus answers it. Jesus answered him. Uh, 
he, Jesus says, I'm going to manifest myself by making every morning a rainbow in the sky. And if you're a Christian, you're going to be able to supernaturally look up in the sky and see a rainbow. Or every morning you get up, I am going to audibly whisper in your ear, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. No, what does he say? If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him. Are you with me? Looking at your Bible. I'm going over, but you need to hear this, okay? In my Father, it says, if anyone loves, loves, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So, so how is God going to manifest it? I'm sorry. How is the Father and the Son manifesting themselves to me and not to the world? How does that happen today? Same way. Through the Spirit and the Word, right? How are you going to know more about Christ? How are you going to know more about Him? Through the Word. Not through your imagination, not through your opinions, and really not through the rhetoric of just, you know, you've got to do it yourself. But anyway, so he says, uh, you know Him by, by knowing His Word. If you, if you know my Word, then, then you will know me. Um, but I didn't want to stop there. Look, look at, oh, um, and he says, and we will make our home, or we will tabernacle, whatever you want to say, we will make our, I'm, I'm in verse 23, we will come to him, I said, whoever you know, loves me, and love, he's my father, will love him, and, and we will come to him, me and the father, will come to him, and we'll stop here, and make our home with him. Make our home with Him. Now, folks, I've heard this my whole life. I'm fixing to tell you something I, I learned from reading all this this week. I've heard this my whole life, but I just found the verses that tell me that. But I knew they were in John, but I never found them because I, I didn't read the text like I should. What does verse 23 says that God's going to make His home in me, Right? Well, let me put that, let me give you a word that helps you understand that. If you go back to John chapter 14, and, and, and Jesus says, uh, Let not your hearts be troubled if you believe in God, but He's also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But when He says, In my Father's house are many, some verses say abiding, translate say abiding places, some places say mansions. That's really not the best word. In my Father's house are many rooms. That's the exact same room, exact same word for the room. What I say it is Christ is going to go to heaven and make us an abiding place. It's really the better place to say. He's going to make an abiding place for us, a home. Now the Holy Spirit in God's word makes a home for the Father and Son and Spirit in the heart of man. It's the very same word. So we live, though we're not in heaven yet, we live in the presence of the Son of God and the work of the Spirit. We live in their presence the whole time because they abide in us. Paul argues this in 1 Corinthians 6. So His presence is in us and this calls us for a life of obedience. A lot more we could say. Thank you for your presence this morning. Let's stand together for prayer.
Let me get you to, when you go home, okay? When you go home, we're going to stand and pray. I want you to look and do something. If you, this is another thing that's profound. I've got to get it out of my system or I'll pick back up on it and chase this next, next Sunday. So let me, let me just say it. If you're talking about the, you know, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, you know, there's spiritual gifts, but then there's fruits of the Spirit, right? Help me. There's fruits of the Spirit. Well, really, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Go look at Galatians 5.22, and it says this, the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of... I always say one fruit, many flavors. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace are the first three. If you're reading John 14 and 15, you know what the three keys are? Jesus mentions to them they'll love one another, they'll have a peace that passes all understanding, and they'll know true joy. He puts it right here. So it's interesting that Jesus tells them, when you abide in me, you're going to have love for one another, you're going to have a peace that passes all understanding, and you're going to understand joy for the first time. And then Paul says to the Galatians, love, joy, peace. We have to ask ourselves, if you're abiding, you have those things and much more. Do you have them? Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for your word. Thank you for the work of the church. Father, thank you that all of us have a calling, a responsibility. Help us to be faithful stewards of the riches that you've disposed to us. We love you and thank you for your grace and mercy in Jesus' name. Amen.